When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. This is Greg Olson here to tell you about my new podcast, TE1. On the show, I had a chance to talk to my fellow tight ends who have revolutionized the position from an extra lineman to a dual threat superstar. And just like my guests have changed the game, this year, NFLSundayTicket.tv is revolutionizing your NFL viewing experience. Stream all the live out-of-market NFL games every Sunday on your favorite devices and never miss a moment from your favorite players. Visit NFLSundayTicket.tv and use the promo code GREG88 at checkout and get 15% off your subscription. That's NFLSundayTicket.tv and the promo code GREG88. Subscribe to TE1 and get NFLSundayTicket.tv an unmatched dual threat. This is the Cubs Related Podcast presented by CubsInsider.com. My name is Corey. I am joined as always by Brendan and we are coming to you on Monday, September 7th. Weird to do a post-series podcast on a Monday, but we have five games with the St. Louis Cardinals to break down. And similar to the last time the Cubs and Cardinals played five games, and similar to a lot of parts of this 2020 season, some ups, some downs, and, you know, some moments where Brendan and I, uh, like after the game (laughs) on Friday, were hyped Darvish did his thing again. Cubs win. Clean, nice 4-1 to victory. We're thinking, okay, like, you know, this will be a fun pod. The Cubs hopefully take care of business the rest of the way. Then after Sunday's game, we're thinking, are we going to do an explicit podcast? I mean, this is the <laughs> biggest mess I've ever seen. Then Hendricks comes out on Monday and kind of calms everything down all over the place, Brendan. But all told, the Cardinals take three games in this series, the the middle three games, two on Saturday in the doubleheader, one on Sunday night. The Cubs take the bookends of this series on Friday and Monday. So only a game gained by the Cardinals. Uh, they split the season series, five and five for each of these teams. So I, I think given the way that they've had to play these series with the doubleheaders and kind of cramming all these games in. The Cubs leaving this series and and finishing with the St. Louis Cardinals for the year, up two and a half games, 
is not the worst place to be. And midway through this series, it sort of felt like we were heading that way. That was a roller coaster, Corey, and kind of like a microcosm of, of this team so far. They're living and dying with you, Darvish, and Kyle Hendricks, which is not that like bad of an idea to live and die off of. But the last game with KB driving the ball... You know, Javi did get his base hits. I know they're infield hits, but psychologically, that could boost them. The defense was tighter in that last game. And like you said, like to finish off the set against the Cardinals, up two and a half with what felt like a complete collapse after Sunday. I, I don't I don't know how to feel, but I'm not feeling how I expected to feel waking up today. If they, if they lost today, maybe it would have been different, but I feel okay. There's, there's still concerns, there's still positives, and there's still concerns, but overall, things can change in the next three weeks, and I feel right now, today, I'm okay. Yeah, I texted this general idea to friend of the podcast, Ryan Tomier, that this series was a microcosm of, I think, kind of where this team is, and, and probably where they'll end up being. Obviously, we're, you know, there's not a lot of games left here, so there's not going to be a lot of time for major changes. This team looks really good when you Darvish and Kyle Hendricks go out there and do their thing and deal. They have the offensive weapons to score enough runs to back those guys up, and the rest of the time, it's, you know, kind of a toss-up, right? You don't really know what you're going to get on a different day from the other guys pitching in this rotation and from the offense in general, you know, when they're asked to score three, four, five, whatever runs to win a game uh, when the other team is actually scoring. So, I, you know, I think that's kind of what we've been talking about, you know, like uh, if you were headed into the playoffs, you'd feel really confident that you, Darvish, and Kyle Hendricks can match up with anybody. The Cubs can absolutely compete in those games. They've got the offensive weapons. If they're firing, great. If they're not, we'll see what happens. But even then, those two guys are going to pitch well enough that you're you're very much going to be in the game and you're probably going to win it, right? And then you know, you just kind of have to piece the rest of it together and sort of <laughs> yeah. see what happens. So and then, and then what? Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, I mean o- overall, right? In 4 weeks, if Javi Baez and Chris Bryant are not hitting, there is there's nothing you can do. Right. Like this team is going to live and die off those two guys. And they're still winning games without them at this point. That can be an encouraging sign. But if they're not going to hit, if Javi and KB are just not going to hit for different reasons, I don't know what more we can do. We can talk about lineup construction. We can talk about bullpen management and some of the decisions by Dave, that David Ross made. But at the end of the day, they need their superstars to play. And they, they, they haven't played. And to some degree, they're fortunate to even be in the situation with those startling performances from some of their superstars. Yeah, I, I think that, and we've been kind of on that point for a while, that we can go into the nitpicking and, and the trends and things like that. But the real key is that the the, the top-level talent, the stars, are not performing at the level you need. And it's, you know, even been uh, not a great stretch for someone like Rizzo. You know, I'm looking at the lineup, uh, you know, before we get into it, it'll be a brief recap because it's five games and three of them were won by the Cardinals, so nobody cares. Uh, But, you know, even looking like Rizzo now, a 778 OPS coming out of the game on Monday, so after that series, you know, like these just aren't great numbers from any of these guys to varying degrees, obviously, you know, Javi and and KB at the bottom here, but you're, you're not getting that, 
star level performance really from anybody in this lineup other than Ian Happ, who's an like an actual MVP candidate um, at this time, leading the league in OPS. I mean, he's putting together an incredible season, uh, and especially to see you know after that incident with his eye, he just shows up and pops a leadoff home run. You know, I mean, he's just like <laughs> kind of nuts at this point. But that's the it. key. You know, like Bryant, Rizzo, Baez, Schwarber, Contreras, not a single one of them has an OPS uh, over 790. So none of them even over 800, right? And that's the key, right? These are the guys you were looking to to be stars. If, if, if this team right now was getting 2019-level Kyle Schwarber, you know, career norm for Wilson Contreras, Baez, Rizzo, and Bryant— like they would are probably looking at the Dodgers, right? In terms of like who's the one seed in the National League. Maybe not that good because you know I think the Cubs have other roster problems that maybe the Dodgers don't. But if you were getting that performance out of those guys, even just career norm performance in in some of the cases closer to just league average performance, right? Like this team would be in a completely different spot. But it's just not happening, and. You're at the point now. Like, what do they have? Eighteen games left, Brendan. I think that's Something like that's that. the number. You have three. You have three. You have three weeks left. That's it. Three yeah, weeks. they they they've played forty two games. They have eighteen games left. Like, you know, obviously, I expect these guys to be good basically every day. But that's a really small amount of time, and just to expect, you know, some sort of like massive change. Like, I, you know, I just don't know. So that's the key. You know, like that's that's the main issue offense offense wise is that your stars you know, none of them are performing that way. And Ian Happ is 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 sort of taking the spot, but you didn't come into the season necessarily expecting Ian Happ to perform like this. Uh, and you certainly, I don't think, expected him to be literally the best hitter by far on this team. And so it's obviously great that he's doing this, but the key with this offense, and like I think the overall success or failure relies on those other five guys, and none of them right now uh, again, to varying degrees, are performing at the level that you need. So we'll get into more of all of that. We've got a, a lot of things to talk about. We'll, we'll do the the recap in a second here, uh, but we have to touch on one thing that happened over the weekend that we have not had a chance to talk about. And if you've been listening to this podcast for a long time, you must know that we are going to start this way. And where we're going to start is by tilting our hats to the left, because the Cubs on a minor league deal have brought home Pedro Strope. So happy about this, Brendan. And I want to be really clear about this. It's so weird, like some of the response to this move. It's like, it's just so eye roll inducing, like some of the way that people perceive this. And like, they're like, uh, you know, when, when people are happy about this, they're like, oh, I think a lot of people are going to be disappointed. Like, you know, pay- we, we know that Pedro is not vintage Pedro Strope, right? We saw that with the Cubs in 2019. We saw it a little bit with the Reds. He had an injury problem and stuff like that. We're, we're aware this is not like top-level peak Pedro Strope. But the reason people are excited about this is because Pedro is not one of those guys who's just a good teammate, right? Or like a veteran leader that like the way that they talked about Descalso, right? Like, oh, we love this guy in the clubhouse. Blah, blah. No, 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 no. What Pedro brings transcends to a different level than that. The the stories of members in this clubhouse, Javi Baez being the most prominent example, 
leaning on Pedro, using him as a a shoulder to cry on, a a source of inspiration, a a source of knowledge, and and things like that. There there's so many stories about that, and. A, the Cubs' bullpen has been all over the place all season, so why not just try another option that you're very familiar with, that the coaching staff and front office are very familiar with? So why not? But from a a a team perspective, a clubhouse perspective, this is not just a a a, a leader and a good presence. This is like the leader and good presence, and I we talk about this a ton on this show, but nothing embodies it more than that story in game one of the 2016 NLDS against the Giants. Nothing, nothing, Lester, Cueto, vintage playoff pitching matchup, right? And Strope tells him before that home run, the game-winning home run, you have to take control of this game. This is you. This is for Javi Baez to make his moment. And he goes out there and hits a home run. And it's it's just one example. There's a lot uh, that has been written about this, but but that is the type of role that Pedro plays for some of these guys, especially Javi Baez. It's not just pitchers; it's position players too. They really lean on this guy, and they look to him to build them up, hype them up, gas them up, whatever you want to say. Like it's it's it seems to be a very real thing. I'm not in the clubhouse; I can't tell you that, but you read about this, you see it, this guy's presence means something. And and it's not inherently a reason to keep a guy on the roster, you know? But with the way that we've seen Javi struggle, with the way that we've seen the bullpen be all over the place, it's a no-brainer move. It's no risk for the Chicago Cubs. You might as well try it, right? If he's serviceable out of the pen, fantastic. If you can get him in there and get him back, you know, with the vibes in the clubhouse, it, it's great. It's a no-brainer. Bring a guy home. The fans love him. This is fine. This is great. We look at what David Ross did in 2016 and the effect that he has today based on his interactions with the team in 2015 and 2016. Those are real, dude. Like What teammates consider valuable is different when you're inside the clubhouse. It could just be a simple like talk. It could be a simple mentorship that can have an effect that translates to better at-bats, to adjusting, to thinking differently. And Strope does have those qualities. I mean, look at what David Ross said. He said, quote, Strope is one of my favorite teammates I've ever had. The guy is infectious, his personality, the way he carries himself, the way he works, he can really affect the room. But ultimately, the goal is to get him back to being able to help us on the field. That's first and foremost. And then, obviously, all those benefits come with him, end quote. Yep. So, so, I mean, that's that's it, right? And even, even if Strope does not provide value on the mound, and my expectations, honestly, are low that he does that. But once the playoffs start, maybe he's in Chicago. He may not be in the dugout. I don't know how the COVID protocols work. But just his presence in the city, the the ability for, for his teammates to reach out to him, that has a huge effect to me. And you pointed out with Javi and Strope's relationship and all of that, look at what Javi's going through right now. I mean, when he is sad, Corey, when Javi's talking about all of his issues, that that hurts me viscerally. Like, I, I don't, I don't want to see that, right? And I imagine, I don't know if this is true or not, but I imagine... Javi's felt like that before in in years past. He's gone through 
major growing pains with this team. And Strope has been there every year yeah. and every step of the way during his growing pains. I mean, Strope's been there since 2013. So he was here when Javi made his debut and Javi was like this beefy, young, almost like borderline teenager hitting home runs in Colorado in his debut. Like, look look at how far Javi's come, right? And so for, for me, I'm dialing in on that relationship with Strope and Javi. But other guys too, and some of the other bullpen arms as well, just because you can't produce on the mound doesn't mean you have the ability to connect, to get these guys to think differently, to shake up their thinking processes. And whether that's a position player or the existing bullpen, when the manager of the team talks about one guy's ability to change the room, I I listen. I think we all have to listen. Do I expect Strope to be good on the mound? No, but I do expect him to have an effect that will translate to better performance on the field separate from that on the mound. Yeah, you you don't you don't bring in guys because they're friends with the the player. You know what I mean? Like you got to yeah. bring more than that. But Strope's personal value is off the charts and it's a minor league deal and the bullpen can always use an extra body, right? So you might as well give this a go. It's a no, and it's, it's a fine. no yeah. It's fine. Yeah, like it's as a, a no fan, brainer. it's like, yeah. yeah, separate from, you know, the effects on his teammates. For, for you and me, I, I love this. Yes. I love Pedro oh, Strope. Yeah. Like as a fan, I cannot wait. I am praying, Corey, that he can get it together in South Bend just to see him in the dugout. I would love nothing more than to see Pedro Strope in all these vibes, like going back and dancing in the bullpen that we've seen. I would love nothing more to see that. You've counted on restaurants, now they're counting on you. And while their dining rooms may be closed, they're still open for delivery with DoorDash. DoorDash is the app that brings you the food you're craving right to your door. Ordering is easy. Open the DoorDash app, choose what you want to eat, and your food will be left safely outside your door with the new contactless delivery drop-off setting. Choose from your favorite national restaurants like Chipotle, Wendy's, and the Cheesecake Factory. Many of your favorite local restaurants are still open for delivery, too. Just open the DoorDash app, select your favorite local spot, and your food is on its way. After we record this episode, I'm going to kick back, watch some Sunday Night Baseball, and order from one of my favorite local spots on DoorDash. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter code BLUEWIRE. That's $5 off and zero delivery fees on your first order when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store and enter code BLUEWIRE. Don't forget, that's code BLUEWIRE for $5 off your first order with DoorDash. Sunday, Sunday, Sundays are coming back in the NFL. With SundayNFLTicket.tv, you can stream every live out-of-market NFL game every Sunday afternoon on your favorite devices, plus Red Zone and DirecTV Fantasy Zone channels. Never miss your favorite teams or favorite players. No matter where you live, NFLSundayTicket.tv is your key to get the most glorious Sundays ever. Use promo code BLUEWIRE at checkout to get 15% off your subscription. Visit NFLSundayTicket.tv and use promo code BLUEWIRE. Okay, so 
super fast recap, like I said, because it's five games, three of which won by the Cardinals. So just going to touch on some highlights on Friday. It was the Cubs winning four to one behind the arm and the luscious hair of you Darvish, who wins his seventh game. He goes seven innings, one hit, one earned, zero walks, and 11 strikeouts. He had a perfect game going until Matt Carpenter hit a home run that had an expected batting average of 220. So that was a real bummer. I I genuinely thought you was going to do it. He was that dialed in. His stuff absolutely filthy. We always direct you to the pitching ninja, Rob Friedman on Twitter, who posts some of those overlays and some of those great gifts. Just the tunneling and the filth coming out of that arm from you, Darvish, is really laughable when he's dialed in. I mean, he was throwing 98 mile an hour cutters on the edges of the zone. I mean, you're just blown away with what this guy is is able to do. Uh, so that is obviously a, a real highlight. He is right now, I would say, the leading contender for the Cy Young. Of course, Jacob deGrom is really good, and he's going to make this uh, about as tight as possible. Uh, but Yu is is doing his thing. He's, he's at the very least in the top two of this conversation. Right now, I think he's number one. Uh, so something to monitor with only a few starts left. Cubs getting their runs in this one on a couple Wilson Contreras singles and a Wilson Contreras home run, his fifth. He accounts for all four RBIs in this game. Saturday, the Cubs lose two ends of a double header. Uh, the notes there, Adbear Alzali goes in the first game. He goes two and two-thirds, two hits, two earned, five walks, and four strikeouts. So obviously, the walk numbers, uh, not super inspiring there. But I think that in general, the stuff was was good from Adbear, and he'll get another turn in Cincinnati. Brendan will have more on his outing and his future outlook when we get out of here. Uh, and in the... Second game on Saturday, Colin Ray gets the start. He gives up four, uh, two walks, five hits in two innings of work. Uh, I don't think anybody really cares about much else in those games. Sunday, John Lester gets blown up, three and a third, six hits, five earned, two walks, and four strikeouts. We'll have a little bit more on John, but I feel like we've been pretty honest and spot on with him for pretty much a while now. Uh, So I think you kind of know what we're going to say there. And then on Monday, it was a really great vintage Wrigley Field outing from Kyle Hendricks. He goes eight, gives up seven hits, one earned, no walks, and four strikeouts. Rowan Wick comes on for a clean ninth inning. The Cubs getting their runs on Monday via an Anthony Rizzo sack fly, a Jason Kipnis double, a Wilson Contreras two RBI single. And that would be the run scoring for the day, a huge outing for Kyle Hendricks. That felt like a game that this team, it was a must win for this this team. Uh, and the Hendricks gave them the exact effort that they needed, a clean, quick, just sort of dominant performance, let the offense do their thing. And that was pretty much the, the bookends. Like I said, the, the the game on Friday and the game on Monday and, you know, the ones in between, kind of a microcosm of, of where this team is. Uh, when those two start and they're on, which they are most of the time, 
this team looks really good, right? Uh, when you're trying to figure out some of the other stuff, it gets a little more confusing. So uh, there, there, there's more to talk about in those games, but we'll get into it in the longer form discussion here. So let's start with the other parts of this rotation. So one thing to note, uh, Tyler Chatwood and Jose Quintana, I think, uh, working their way back. You know, we don't have an exact timeline on when those guys will be back. Uh, but earlier this morning, as we record this on Monday, Jordan Bastian of MLB and Cubs.com and friend of the podcast said Tyler Chatwood resumed playing catch today, again on Monday, and Jose Quintana is on target to resume his throwing program on Tuesday. So the runway for this season that is left is very short. Uh, I know that that's kind of crazy to think about with how short this season has been. It's It's pretty nuts to think that, you know, we're under three weeks of games, total 18 games left in this season. So it's hard to know when they might be back, when, you know, how effective they might be. I mean, trying to speed back from injuries with only this many games left, it's hard to know exactly what to expect there. Uh, But at least they are trying to do that. And, you know, with the state of this Cubs rotation and, and pitching staff as a whole, I think you're hopeful to have any bodies that you can and just sort of see how you're able to piece some of this stuff together. Um, but let's just, I, I just want to get uh, some thoughts on on John out of the way, and then I'll, I'll throw it to you, Brendan, for uh, a look on AdBear and, you know, just kind of thinking about him, you know, really kind of having to take hold of, of one of those spots in this rotation. Um, John, you know, I, I hate, I hate watching him struggle. I think you guys know that. Um, I've said this a million times, but John, over the course of his career with the Cubs, has become my favorite player of all time. It had been Mark Pryor, basically, for my entire life. I have a thing for pitchers, I guess. Uh, and it it became John, just in his his attitude, his performance, and, and everything that he's brought to this Cubs organization. And so watching him struggle, watching Paul Goldschmidt send a ball to the moon out of John's arm is is hard for me. It's it's like it's it's the one thing it it really stinks to watch and to read the postgame quotes from John, uh, you know, where he's always very honest and he's very hard on himself. You know, he was talking on Sunday after the game about how he feels bad that this offense is sort of left out to dry by him uh, every fifth day lately. And, you know, how talking about how hard it must be for them to be behind the eight ball right away, you know, their their starter is forcing them to score a lot of runs and forcing them to have better at bats because they're, they're put behind. Uh, and so to hear him talk about that, hear him talk about, you know, kind of not knowing where his confidence is going to come from because the stuff that they're doing in the side sessions is not translating to the games and he's just not getting results. Uh, You know, and John is often a guy who just says, I mean, look at the box score, right? Even on a day, if he gives up a ton of hard hard contact, if he throws a shutout, he's going to tell you, look at the box score. I didn't give up any runs. I don't care if they hit the ball hard, right? In these games, he's going to say, look at the box score. I went three innings and I gave up five runs. I walked two guys. I gave up two home runs. I gave up six hits. That stinks. What else am I going to say? So it it sucks to to watch, uh, you know, and I think as, as all of you know, if, you know, your favorite player is struggling, it, it stinks to watch. But I think we've been pretty realistic uh, on this podcast about the expectations with John and, and also just the idea that 
it's not surprising to me. And if you listen to us, I don't think it should be surprising to you that his first few starts were really, really good. And he's got some real stinkers in there. And and that's just how it is at this point in his career. And I think the game on Sunday was a good example of that. Like that pitch to Goldschmidt is awful. And it got hit like it was awful. He can't get away with stuff like that anymore. And and that's really what it is. David Ross talked uh, a bit on Monday, I think, about you know wanting to get back to jamming that cutter on the inside to righties and how John hasn't had the command on that. And that's just where he is in his career, that if the command is not perfect, it's, it's, it's going to be a potentially rough outing for him. And I, I don't have anything else really to offer on that. I have confidence in him going forward that he's going to be able to put together some good starts for this team, and I still remain honest about him. If the command isn't there, he, there's going to be more outings like Sunday. It's just the way it is. Um, I, I I do still believe in him to go out there and give you good starts, uh, and I still have confidence giving him the ball it's, you know, you just have to be realistic about knowing how these things are going to play out, right? Um, and, you know, he, he's not unlike other starters. You know, we talk about this with other guys too. Like, if the command isn't there, if they're not able to execute the game plan perfectly, you know, they don't all have the stuff that you Darvish has, right? To just be blowing guys away with 12 different versions of the same pitch or 50 different off-speed pitches, right? Like, some of these guys live a, a different life. So, that's where it is with John. I'm miserable. Like I was miserable watching that game on, on Sunday. You know what I mean? So I, I don't have uh, any other way to, you know, I can't sugarcoat it, right? Like he was not good on Sunday and he spoke, you know, about that. And and so it sucks. But I, I, I still believe in the thing that I've said all the time. He's going to go out there and he's going to have a plan for how to make the stuff that he has work. And he can do that. But there's just going to be games where the, the the body's just going to fail him, or the the mechanics or the command are going to fail him, and and it's it's going to be a precarious situation. That that's just how it is. But again, over my dead body, am I not giving him the ball because I believe in him and I believe that he has you know the the mind and the, and the work ethic and the ability to make this work. You just have to accept that it's it's not going to be perfect every time. And one last note before I stop, and I know I said a quick thing, but of course I get going about John. And, you know, we're here for five hours. But, you know, this is also one of those spots where obviously you've got Chatwood injured, you've got Quintana injured, and, you know, there's a lot going on here in this shortened season. But, you know, it's the sixth year of John's contract. He's 36 years old. You'd have hoped that you wouldn't be relying on him right now, again, with the injuries. He's your three starter. Probably not a good bet, right? You probably shouldn't have put yourself in a position that that's what you're asking for, you know, and you had a long time on his contract to develop other starters or draft other starters or, you know, figure out a way to sort of inject some youth, right, into this rotation and turn things over. And you've done a pretty bad job of that. So, you know, now when Lester goes out there on Sunday and the command isn't there, I think it's magnified maybe more than is fair to John, right? Like he, you shouldn't, it's, it's like the conversations we had when he would get blown up and people would say, oh, he's not pitching like an ace. And we would come on here and say, well, he's not the ace. It's Kyle Hendricks or, you know, now it's you Darvish, right? Like it's, it's similar. It's like, yeah, I mean, I don't think you'd want 36 year old John Lester to be your number three starter. That's, that's not John's fault. That's the roster building fault. Uh, so, 
the moral of the story is I'm giving the ball, John, every time. I have the confidence <laughs> in him. You just have to be realistic about it, and you have to know what he needs to execute and what he needs to do to make it work. And, uh, you know, I think being unrealistic or hyperbolic about some of this stuff just isn't helpful. Uh, I think a lot of the, you know, the the freaking out and the doom and gloom about John is from people who just, like, are not being realistic about this um, and, you know, not approaching this from the most pragmatic way. So I'm giving him the ball. I have the confidence that he can make it work. It's not going to sometimes. Like, that's just how it is. So that's my uh, thing on John Lester. There are probably three to four starts left for John this year, Corey. That's that's crazy to think about. And yeah, when you have all these injuries in John right now as your three starter, I I see why people have doom and gloom. I, I understand it. People are thinking, if this team goes deep in a playoff run, can John take the ball? And I I understand that. I, too, am a little concerned, but let's talk about it. Let's talk about John right now in the three-spot of the rotation, because that's that's what he is. John this year, compared to last year, his exit velo, all of the stuff that you see on StackCast, basically the same as last year. The differentiating factor, though, and which is why you see some of the numbers spike up, especially those home runs is because he's not getting whiffs. So what can we do to get John more whiffs? That, that that can be a discussion topic. What we saw in that last outing was him throwing more change-ups. Guess what? He had seven whiffs on his change-up. That is the most whiffs with his change-up as a Chicago Cub, Corey. That is the most whiffs he's had in almost eight seasons with a change-up. So there is some like optimism if you look and you squint and you try to find something. That being said, the fastball was not good. The cutter was not good. He leaked almost, what, all those pitches that got smacked right over the middle of the plate? That That's not going to work. And David Ross did say that. Ross said to paraphrase that he wants to get John working back inside to right-handed hitters. So what if he does that? What if he changes up the game plan? What if he executes and commands a little bit better? Which, by the way, in his first three starts, he did. He did do that. And we were excited because he was commanding. It is not within the realm of, of, of complete disaster of, of John right now. I, I, I refuse to believe that. I think if we see John command, and if we see John make a slight tweak, and maybe that will be the changeup, then the whiffs are going to go up, and a lot of the numbers from all the exit velo and everything are going to mirror last year. So what's going to happen? John will be a league average pitcher. That's what he was last season. And if that's your three spot in the playoffs, and you can piggyback off of that because you don't have Quintana and you don't have Chatwood due to injuries, I I think it's okay. I'm not saying that's going to happen, but I can see it happening and we have three starts left it's not that much time i get it but we saw what happened in his first three starts right maybe just some tinkering needs to happen and it sucks to see it and i get the issues with the rest of the rotation but there is still room to be confident with john turning things around i i i I don't like some of the doom and gloom based on his quotes that he said yesterday where he just 
exuberated no confidence. And that, that hurts me. And I think people took that as a way to assume like, hey, John's going to retire. Hey, John is done. I, I don't think that. I thought that was an overreaction. I think there is reason to be optimistic. And I would not be surprised in four weeks, we're talking about John in the playoff rotation with a piggyback with other with some other pitcher. And, and we're fine. That being said, the rest of the pitching staff, without Q, without Chadwood, they're maybe back. Both of them may be back in the next week or two or three weeks. We don't we don't know. But the rest of the pitching staff, including that bullpen, it's giving me confidence. I think Adbert Alzali, what he showed against the Cardinals, he got screwed by some defensive miscues, but he struck out four batters. Alzali's throwing 95, 96, 97. He saw the changeup. He saw the curveball. He has four pitches now. He looks a little bit more confident. I like Azulai's stuff, and I would I would have no problem going into a playoff start right now and have John and Azulai piggyback. I want to see Aber get more opportunities. My only concern with him is that the front office won't permit that. I mean, he's going to be pitching on Thursday, but I hope when Q and Chatwood, if they come back, that Azulai will continue to get looks. But it's not just Azulai either. The bullpen, surprisingly is starting to shape up a little bit. Kimbrell's looked a little bit better, baby steps, right? But we look at what Tapera is doing. Tapera, Corey, has a top five whiff rate in Major League Baseball. Top five. Guess who's right behind him? Dwayne Underwood Jr. Dwayne Underwood Jr. and Tapera have double-digit strikeout per nine rates. They're both showing better command, too, especially Underwood in his most recent outings. And we talked about Underwood. This guy has a fastball, sinker, uh, change of combination that, that is very unique. He has more dropping action on his sinker and change up than 90% of relievers in the league right now. That That is something that's unique. That's something that pitters don't see. Yeah, so just to jump in a quick note on Underwood, in his last five appearances, four and two-thirds inning pitch, no earned runs, just two yeah. hits allowed, no walks, it. and seven strikeouts. Mm. I'm getting that from uh, Brett over at Bleacher Nation. And he notes it's been mostly low leverage stuff, but he was a guy who, when he struggled out of the gate, you know, really the home run ball was biting him a lot. You know, we kind of said like, the stuff is there, like this is probably worth letting him work through this if you have the spots in the bullpen to do it. And you know, it's, it's, it's paid off. He's had some really nice outings over this stretch. Yeah. So I'm looking at Underwood too, because he is stretched out he can go multiple innings. I, I, like at the current moment, and you know, this is all subject to change, right? Like we're talking about the lineup three weeks ago, being confident about it, and now we're not confident about it. And I fully recognize that. But right now, today, I like Underwood. I like Alzelay. I like Tapera. I like what we've seen from Kyle Ryan even recently. The Velo's going back up. I think Kimbrell's looking better. Rowan Wick is what he is. He's going to have that command, that curveball fastball. It's starting to shape up for me. And I'm confident with that. It makes me feel good, especially, Corey, with the assumption that KB and Baez return. Again, if those two guys start to hit and the bullpen shapes up, this is a contender. Will it happen? I don't know. But it is possible, and that's where I'm going to spend some of my optimism. Yeah, so I think that is pretty much where we're at with the pitching staff. But let's transition to the lineup. So one thing of note, on Sunday, Jason Hayward leaves the game uh, with what we were being told was shortness of breath uh, and some lightheadedness. 
went to get some tests and that. Uh, the report on Monday, and I think is as current as we have, but keep an eye on this. It, you know, the, what I'm saying right now may be outdated when you're listening to this. Was uh, the Cubs have no COVID-19 positive tests, uh, so it's not that. But they wouldn't really go into much more detail with that. They just said Hayward's feeling better, going to get some more tests done, and that's pretty much where we're at. So I, I don't really know what to say about that other than I, obviously, I hope Jason's okay. That's that's really it. That's that's uh, first and foremost what matters here is that Jason is okay. I obviously hope that he's able to get back out there in the lineup and in the field, uh, but just want him to be okay and, and healthy. Uh, anytime you hear stuff like that, especially with what's going on in the world, that's a scary thing. So uh, just hopefully he's all right. And, you know, that's just something to consider. Uh, As for the rest of the lineup, it's been a similar story. It was nice to see on Monday uh, Chris Bryant going two for five with a couple hits there, Javi Baez going three for four, uh, a couple of infield hits, but, you know, that's that's one of the ways that El Mago has made his living is, you know, putting the ball in play and letting his legs and his athleticism do the work. So nice to see those guys uh, getting multiple hits. I, you know, it's like five hits from those two guys. It's like, it feels like Christmas almost on Monday. So that was nice. Uh, the lineup remains consistent. So I think that, you know, it appears that whether it's uh, strictly David Ross's call or the front office's call, they're going to live and die with their big guys. And, you know, there's there's been a lot of discourse on this, and, and we've talked a lot about, you know, lineup construction is, is often a negligible difference, right? A, a guy hitting second or third or second versus fourth, things like that often don't really matter until you get to the extremes, right? Um, You know, if you're leading off your worst hitter, which I don't know, have the Cubs ever done that for a really (laughs) extended period of time? Anyway, sorry, I couldn't help myself. Um, Stuff like that really matters, right? But other than that, it's, you know, you're sort of splitting hairs sometimes just because sequencing and and who gets at bats in big spots and who leads off innings and stuff like that, it's it's sometimes very random, right? Um, But in this case, you know, Brendan and I and a lot of other people have talked a lot about, well, you know, there's 18 games left, there's a couple weeks left, like it's a short season, it's a weird season, perhaps you should consider moving KB and Javi down until they really show that they've gotten going and just let other guys have those top at bats. But they seem to be living and dying with this. And and I think, you know, uh, again, as we've talked about for weeks now, like that's the key, you know, moving them down and maybe getting some other guys, some at bats, you might, those differences might mean something. And if they continue to not look right, I, I, I still would advocate considering that. But at the end of the day, like we talked about earlier, you're gonna, you know, success or failure is probably going to rest on whether those guys start to look like themselves uh, more than they do now. And, you know, you don't necessarily need KB to reach 2016 MVP levels. You don't necessarily need Javi to reach 2018 runner-up MVP levels. But, you know, these guys are nowhere clear that, you know, they're not near league average right now, and they're definitely not close to either of their career norms or expectations. So that's really ultimately 
ultimately what you need to have happen. One thing that I wanted to note, uh, I, I really like what I've seen from Cameron Mabin in in this in the starts that he's gotten. Um, I think he's a guy who kind of represents exactly what you're looking for in a platoon starter, a bench bat, things like that. You know, he, he's probably going to be around a league average hitter, maybe a little better, maybe a little worse good athlete. You know, he he doesn't have like explosive speed. He's not like an elite level defender, but he's just good, right? You know, like maybe a little above league average at everything he's doing. And with the way that the Cubs bench has gone and some of the playing time has gone over the past couple of years, I, I think that's a, a good place to a good place to start. And, you know, he only went one for four in the game on Monday, but took some really good swings. The ball comes off his bat nicely. Uh, thought he had a home run in this game. Len kind of fooled me and a lot of other people into thinking it was gone. I think the wind knocked it down. But uh, just wanted to to note that I've, I've liked the addition of Mabin, uh, the way Ross has used him, and I think that that's a. I think that that's going to be a, a useful addition to the team. Yeah, I I agree with Maven, and getting Billy Hamilton too. You yes, have right. two athletes. Yeah, two athletes off the bench, and you can maybe even put Maven in left field when you want a defensive spell for Schwarber in late inning games. But Hamilton in center field, so that that that's cool to see. You see, like how a seventh inning and on will play out in a playoff scenario. The the lineup is is honestly Corey it's it's killing me it's killing me I I have no other way to describe it the inconsistency it's a lot and I don't know if it's gonna get fixed this year I I don't even know what to think of this year yeah. I mean we talked about the the swing rate abnormalities the extremes I I I don't know I don't know what to make of that still a very high ground ball rate from this team yeah that we've seen for just, a lot of years and. Some of these are just turned on, like the swing race stuff. They never did this in the year past, and I don't know what the logic there is. I don't know if this is good or bad for the long term. I, I, I don't know. But seeing Ian Happ succeed is huge because if you have the assumption, I keep saying this, if KB and and Javi are back, you have a really lethal top five or top six that are on par with the Dodgers, right? I My confidence in it happening is up in the air. I, I, I don't know. But it's the margins where they can win. And if it's the margins for Maven coming in for a pinch hitter or Billy Hamilton being pinch run or shaking around the lineup, that's where I'm focusing in on. And with Ross and the way he's managed these last few games, I don't want to pick on Ross, but... The only logic I have with keeping KB and Javi in the top four is strictly aimed at getting them going for the last week, right. for a playoff run. That is the only thing in my mind that is making sense. Well, and I and I don't I don't know that I really have that much of a problem with it. I know we've railed on you know moving them down, uh, but like if you can get to a point right if they have the worst regular seasons of their careers right and obviously a 611 OPS and a 205 batting average for Javi and a 200 batting average and a 588 OPS for Chris would be their career worsts right like and then they're looking more like themselves once the playoffs start I don't like I don't care at all about those regular season numbers right like and that's one of those things that is so important to go back to their 13 and 3 start it brought them such a grace period if you will 
to struggle the, the way that they had. You know, they, they, they have not been good over the last few weeks as a whole as a team, but that start and and beating teams in their division and, and playing in a division that has, for several of these teams, severely underperformed, like that has bought you the ability to say, yeah, like some of these guys don't look great, but we just need to do what we need to do to have them in a good spot by the end of the month of September, mm-hmm. right? So did, did you see Ross's quote about the division? Because I, I, I'm just seeing it now. Um, no, sir. And it, it give, yeah, so it gives insight maybe to what he's thinking. So this is what Ross said uh, after last night's game. Actually, it may have been before the last game against the Cardinals, regardless. He said, quote, it does not matter to me that you win the division right now in this playoff format, or you come in second. You get in the playoffs and try to be the best version of yourself to win a World Series, whatever path that is that we take, end quote. So that, that's got to be it, right? Like He's looking at the Cubs' four-and-a-half game lead on the Brewers, who are three games below 500. It seems to me that Ross is aiming towards that. And he's right. There is there is no advantage to winning the division other than a morale boost, other than getting those division championship hats. There, there is no advantage there. Maybe there's an advantage for seeding, but in a three-game series, does that even matter? Probably not. So if Ross is aiming to get Javi more at-bats, to get KB more at-bats, because when you bat in the top four, you know, it adds up over time. You get more exposures, you get more opportunities to adjust. If that's his logic, I can understand it. I, I don't know if that's the right decision, honestly. I, I really have no idea. I would like them to be moved down, but I can see what he's thinking. And if KB and Javi do come around in the next two weeks, maybe this could be a good thing. Maybe this gets kind of flipped around and we, and we start thinking, you know what? R- Ross was right here and we were wrong with this. I will never admit that I was wrong about anything. Uh, no, we're I, still waiting for that Kimbrel. Uh, I'm not wrong about that, at least yet. Uh, <laughs> well, no, we actually weeks. admit when we're wrong all the time. Uh, as I've said, we love eating crow on this podcast. Uh, I love it, but yeah, I, I it's it's a weird spot, and and like I think it gets especially frustrating. You know, like on Saturday, like I thought that was a really bad day for manager David. Just on the whole, some of the I mean, the entire week. Yeah, Corey I mean, bad, it, it, it it's just weird. Like we he's been really good, I think, from a tactical perspective, especially for a guy doing this for the first time and who's had a a, a you know a, a bullpen that's been all over the place. You know, he's kind of delivered a, a you know a, a turd in that regard, and you know they're working to polish it up right um you've got your stars not performing like it's it's been a a tough task for any manager let alone a guy doing this for the first time uh but this week in particular it's been a little like oh okay David like I don't I don't know about some of this stuff and and you know what comes from the front office and him I don't know like for example like Souza starting that game on Saturday uh (laughs) and then getting DFA'd between the double header like if he's a DFA candidate at all what on earth is he playing for your team for you know what I mean and he took in it bad against a righty uh which is yeah. not the platoon he's supposed to be in uh in a big spot in in that first game and struck out with the bases loaded I think in no outs and it's like if, if you're gonna DFA this guy in literally 45 minutes what on earth is he taking in it bad for in the wrong platoon split it, I, that was really weird and really frustrating so the the point I'm making is that 
you know, some of the stuff with the lineup and it's, you're, you're trying to thread that needle between this is a short season. You want your top level talent and Bryant and Javi in particular to be going by the time you're getting into these playoffs. Because obviously, if you can throw Darvish, Hendricks, you know, Lester and whoever is is piggybacking or whoever else is going in that series, and you've got those guys going, you feel like you can beat anybody, right? So I get that. But there's also the needle you're trying to thread is balancing that. And also like, yeah, they're at a 95% whatever chance to make the playoffs, especially after the game on Monday. But when you're in the middle of getting swept in that doubleheader, like, you know, the division is not a lock. Even after the game on Monday, you're two and a half up on the Cardinals. They have a a mess of a schedule, a bunch of doubleheaders and so many games crammed into so many days. But the division isn't a lock. And you didn't clinch a playoff spot, right? It's a weird season. Teams are getting hot. Like, there's random teams that are in the playoffs that obviously wouldn't be in a normal year. So it's, it's trying to find that balance. And I don't have the right answer. Uh, but it's, it's, you know, I think why you sort of fluctuate into, well, you want to be understanding of some of this stuff and you want to try to see the bigger picture that they're going for, but you don't have anything locked up, I guess is sort of the, the, the balance that you're trying to strike. And so Saturday was, was really frustrating, at least from our perspective, because it, it didn't feel like they put their best foot forward in those games on Saturday, you know, and then in the nightcap, you had uh, Wilson and I believe Brizzo sitting out of that game. And it, you know, you're yeah, just sort of sitting there sense. watching them lose, thinking, guys, like, you didn't clinch playoff spot. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, you still need to win these games. And and so that's that's where it gets hard to sort of reconcile. And again, like you said, Brendan, I, that's my sincere hope. You keep riding this lineup, and I, it does not matter to me what the regular season looks like as long as you get in. And if you've got this lineup in a, a good spot, some of these guys hot, right, towards the top of the order, great. I literally don't care if they win the division, if they win, you know, 30 games. I It doesn't matter to me. But it's 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 trying to find that balance of, I get that, and I hope that that's the logic in the case, but you still kind of got to have a like sort of keep your foot on the gas pedal mentality through this short season and, and in a yeah. period where like, you know, you're not guaranteed anything. You haven't locked anything up. Uh, and, you know, you're you're also looking, you know, you look at a team like the Reds. Like, I think we all feel pretty fortunate that they're not playing well, right? Like, and that they're not playing at the level that a lot of people thought that they would, you know? So it, it sort of feels like, yeah, take advantage of uh, of that by going for the jugular on all these teams. You could have buried the Cardinals if you had played better in this series, and they didn't do that. And they're in a fine spot, but it's it's hard, I think, as fans who, you know, maybe we're not getting all of this insight onto exactly how they're thinking to approach this big picture. It's just frustrating sometimes to sort of be a little puzzled at, you know, um, some of the stuff that they're doing that that, that's all but yeah like my sincere hope is if they're just going to ride with this like get these guys hot at the right time I don't care what came before that okay let's preview this upcoming three game set against the Cincinnati Reds who you just mentioned are 18 and 23 so on Tuesday the first game is at 7 15 p.m central we have Alec Mills on the mound facing Tyler Malley for the Reds 
Mills on the year is 3-3 three three with a 5.5 ERA. Malley is 1-1 one one with a 3.9 ERA. He has given the Cubs problems in the past. He has a you know, pretty good repertoire. Mills, this might be his last start. We'll see what happens with Q and Chatwood possibly ramping up their throwing programs and Alves Alive pitching well. well. We'll see what happens. On Wednesday, we have another night game, a 7.15 p.m. Central start time. This will be a fun one. We have Yu Darvish on the mound, your Cy Young leading candidate, perhaps, with a 7-1 record, a 1.44 ERA, facing Trevor Bauer, who is 3-3 with a 2.05 ERA. A lot of sliders, a lot of fastballs, a lot of pitches in general in that start. On Thursday, to finish off the three-game set, we have Sonny Gray for the Reds, 5-2, a 3.19 ERA, facing Adber Alzolai, who is 0-1 with a 2.08 ERA. That game starts at 7.15 p.m. Central Time. And that's the start I'm looking forward to the most in this series. I've been dialed in on Alzolai ever since he started throwing that new sinker. Ever since he changed up that release point, that curveball looks tighter. He's throwing that curveball two miles per hour uh, faster. A little bit more sharper break on the pitch. I'm really liking that sinker changeup combination. So I have high hopes for him. And I'm hoping he continues to pitch well because I, I want him in a playoff scenario. As crazy as that sounds right now, I have a lot of confidence in the guy. Other than that, I mean, the, the lineup, it, it speaks for itself. We need KB. We need Javi to keep going. I want to see Rizzo get a few more hard hit batted balls. Uh, a lot of weak contact from Rizzo at times in the Cardinal series, some infield pop-ups. Uh, he had a sack fly in Wednesday's game, but he just missed his pitch. There's a lot of uncharacteristic weak contact from a lot of these guys. So that's that's where I'm dialed in. It's Alzali, it's the lineup, it's Rizzo, Javi, KB, and with the bullpen, this kind of status quo, I've been pretty happy with it. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's fair. I I really need them to hit Tyler Malley. I I just can't. I I just can't deal with him. Just like shutting them down every. I mean, time. I would not be surprised if it happens. Yeah, man. so annoying. Um, and yeah, I mean, look, like this is an opportunity for for these guys. Obviously, Mills has had an opportunity, uh, you know, for for a long time here in this season. But the the team needs these guys to step up, right? Like they they need guys that aren't. Hendricks and Darvish to go out there and and you know keep the rotation moving on a good path and uh you know so so Mills you know has had some rough outings over this stretch uh of starts for him and Adbear getting a shot like you know it's 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 an exciting opportunity for these guys the team needs them and and it's a it's a shot for them to step up Adbear especially you know stepping into this and continuing to get the looks like you just want these guys to succeed obviously for the sake of the team but uh just for for them and and the position they're being put in it's it's sometimes exciting to see guys get an opportunity when the team really needs them uh and to see them step up so yeah that that's exciting uh, obviously every time you Darvish pitches it is must watch television and yeah I mean just sort of seeing on the lineup uh I, I mean I think again like it, it all comes down to I think David Ross is getting a clearer idea of you know how to manage some of these platoons uh you know good to see an, an, another nice game from Kipnis on Monday good to see Nico getting in there and you know turning some of those double plays uh, we talked about Mabin um, you know, but ultimately it's it's going to come down to you, you got to get Javi and KB 
going. If they have more games, it's, it seems pretty simple, right? Like, if they have more games where Javi and Chris are on base five times in nine plate appearances or nine at-bats, this team is going to be, you're going to feel a lot better uh, about this lineup. I know that's that's oversimplifying things, but Ian Happ is playing like an absolute star. He's literally playing like an MVP. He's in that conversation. Like I said, hopefully, just like human being-wise, Jason Hayward is okay. That is priority number one. Uh, but when he's able to get back in there, he's having a you know an, an unbelievable season at the plate. And if you can get some of these guys to really heat up around them, we're going to feel so much better uh, about this lineup. And like we said, if we can get to that place by the end of September, we no one will care that Javi or KB had a bad 60-game regular season, right? Like all that will matter is where they're at uh, come the end of this season and, and what they can do in this weird playoff format. But I think that's all we have for you. It was a, a roller coaster of a, a long weekend here. Uh, as I said at the beginning, some ups, some real ups, and some some real downs. Uh, there were some really dark thoughts uh, in my brain after that game <laughs> on on Sunday night, losing three straight to the Cardinals, like and and the, the staring at what the division could be, and and watching John get you know struggle. Not a good place for me uh, in in my mind. It was not a good place to be on Sunday night. But Kyle Hendricks uh, is is a you know a cure all often, and uh, the Cubs sort of getting back to their winning ways, and hopefully they can carry that into Cincinnati. But we are in literally the stretch run here, folks. So uh, there is not a lot of time left in this season. So uh, you know it's 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 really time to buckle those seatbelts because it's going to get it's going to get tight towards the end of the season here. And then this playoff thing is going to be a, a real gauntlet. So uh, buckle up because I know it, it feels like this all just started, but it's coming to an end. So uh, it's time for the Cubs to really hunker down, do what they can in these last few weeks to keep securing those wins, ensure their spot in the playoffs, and you know just sort of see who they end up getting matched up with based on the seeding. So uh, we will talk to you again after the Cubs and Reds wrap things up on Thursday. As always, we thank you guys for listening to the Cubs Related Podcast. We will talk to you again soon. Hopefully you enjoyed your long weekend. And as always, we end by saying, go Cubs. The wait is finally over. Football is back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great sign up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. Bet Online. Your online sportsbook experts. If you have a family relying on your income, you need life insurance. But finding the best quote shouldn't take a lifetime. That's where Policy Genius comes in. In minutes, Policy Genius could save you 50% or more simply by comparing quotes from America's top insurers. Once you apply, the Policy Genius team handles all the paperwork and red tape. To save on life insurance and get protection for you and your family, 
Head to policygenius.com today.